0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Sliving with Sickle Cell podcast. My name is Barbara Biosa and I am a sickle cell warrior, CEO and fashion designer of luxury women's wear clothing brand Dimabai and founder of the Gideon's Treasure Foundation. And I am your host today. From the Queen Paris Hilton, Sliving means slaying and living your best life. We all deserve to do this. I'm here to bring you all the fabulous tales, the struggles and the triumphs of living with sickle cell anemia and running a business with a disability. There has been many highs and many lows, but I think it's important to share your stories and journey. We will be discussing some important topics and inviting some amazing guest speakers to share their experiences and their journey. This podcast is dedicated to help spread awareness of sickle cell anemia, uplift and build a community of ambitious people who may have a physical or emotional challenges that make being an entrepreneur or following your dreams that much harder. Today's episode is titled, Listen to Your Body. This has been my saving grace and what has helped me manage my sickle cell very well. I don't go to hospital that often, usually just once a year and usually only stay for a few days or maximum one week. And it's usually one of those kind of like crises that I try to manage at home and then they escalate and none of my medication is working. So I go eventually to A&E to get stronger medication, but it really is very rare. And the last few years, it's literally just been once a year. I'm trying to get it where I don't go to hospital at all in a year. So that's like my goal. I haven't been this year. So I'm hoping that, you know, I can um go through that and um I'm also not on any regular treatments um except folic acid which I actually don't take every day which is so bad and I need to start like doing it but there's folic acid in a lot of food so I still think I'm getting you know my daily dose um so yeah I don't have um any kind of blood exchanges I've only ever had two blood transfusions in my entire life which is quite a rare commodity because I think a lot of people I've on Blood season treatment treatments, or they've had plenty in their life. I've literally only had it on two occasions, and I think there were only like one or two bags or something like that. Um, so, um, and the first one was when I was actually twenty-four years old. So for my whole childhood was sickle cell, and even like teenage and early twenties, I never had it. And twenty-four was literally, I think my body crashed. It was a moment when I was living in Paris. Um, and I moved back to London and I was kind of sad because I never wanted to leave Paris. Um, I studied there, I was there for four years and then um, I graduated and lived for another two years and I wanted to start my business. I was running out of studios, I was doing all this. And then I realized that if I really wanted to my business to succeed, I would have to go back to London, um, live with my parents and use their garage as a workspace. So at that time, like realizing that I had to leave my dream city was kind of sad so when I came back I literally I had this high adrenaline so being a fashion student is like so since 16 it's been like on like really level 1000 like up really early um going to university then after I graduated going to work doing internships very kind of high very hectic very adrenaline filled um kind of for the last like eight years from 16 to 24 and then I came back to London and it literally I slept for two months and it was like my body literally crashed and then I think I came back like end of September I did this fashion show in Paris it was was an amazing high and then I came back and I was like oh and then um I slept for two months because I was like I don't know what to do with myself like uh, I graduated I did internships I tried to start this business but like now I'm like back home And then I literally just was like, oh, let me just rest. I haven't rested since I was like 16 because fashion has been crazy. And even though I loved it and I literally did nothing. I was lazy for two months, slept, watched Netflix and I had a massive crisis. My hemoglobin went down. It's usually quite stable, like seven or eight. It went down to like five. and It was my first ever time in my life having a blood transfusion. And I thought it was so like crazy because it was like, oh my God, like this came on. Because I did, I was just doing nothing all day, which is crazy. Cause you'd think that you would have to have a blood jail, You would have to have some sort of treatment from, you know, hectic or crazy, um, activities. But in reality, my body was used to being that high energy adrenaline, working every day, running around the city and doing all these stuff. And the fact that I came home and was just literally like a couch potato, like sleeping, eating watching TV, that's when my body crashed. Like it's actually unheard of. And I would actually love to, I actually asked my doctors and, you know, they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, they didn't really have a, I think they didn't even really have like a a solid answer. They were probably just like, uh, you know, like it's a bit weird, but I guess they were just like, your body was used to that kind of lifestyle. So it did feel like my body had crashed because I had so much adrenaline and so much energy for fashion excitement. I was doing so much from 16 to 24. It was I did an um, A-level course, so I went to college, and after that I did a foundation course, which was hectic, then I went to university in New York, so I was living in New York and doing university, then I went to Paris, lived for four years, I and fashion school, anyone who's studied fashion will know that it's no joke, like, people think fashion, oh, you're just, like, sitting down sketching, and, you know, looking at pretty dresses, and looking at Vogue, and it's like, no, it is not like that, you're literally having, every Friday, you probably have a new project, it's crazy, there's stress your teachers are usually quite cutthroat and like really direct and you have a lot of pressure and a lot of people drop out like half the students drop out in most every fashion school they will start with 30 students by year two it's probably gone down to 15 by graduation it's like only a few students are still left or some came in from other um because they also had a campus in China but like usually like most of the students drop out after like the first year because they thought fashion would be like, woo, magazines, fashion, fun things. And then they realized like, wait, like it's intense. You've got presentations, you have to make dresses. Like you will learn a technique and then you have to create it. Like it's it's hard. But when you love something, it, it brings out joy. Like for me, fashion school, starting a business, it's all happiness, it's all joy. It's hard work, but I love every minute of it. So it doesn't feel like hard work. So I guess the adrenaline, the high, for me was amazing but at the same time it was like I went from like being on my feet waking up super early 7 a.m every day being at school or or my studio at 10 a.m and and then like stay sometimes I would stay to school till midnight I was like the last one of the last students in school and then when I graduated I was doing internships internships again are intense like fashion internships are crazy they aren't paid and they will make you work they will make you stay late if they have a fashion show so it's like all that like running around, and I did all this with heels plus having sickle cell. So like I think that crash of coming down was like so huge for me that my body was kind of like what what is this? And so um, yeah, that was the first time in my life, and I was kind of sad about it because I was like I I went my whole life well up until twenty four without having um, a blood transfusion. It was kind of like wow, like I've been able to manage my sickle cell and live with this condition. And I have the full blown like sickle cell disease without having to have any blood transfusions and not, not really taking any regular things. So it was kind of really annoying for me that this is what caused me to have blood transfusion, not after doing some crazy internship or some crazy fashion show, but actually moving back to London and sleeping for two months. (laughs) It's crazy. So yeah, so that was the first time. So I've only had two times. And I think the last time I had two years ago or so. Um, yeah, so um, my hemoglobin, like I mentioned, my hemoglobin level is quite stable. Although obviously for someone who is healthy, who doesn't have a health condition or sickle cell um, is still low. Cause I think most people like, are like, i meant to be on 14. And so people with sickle cells usually half that. So mine is around seven, eight and it, st- it kind of stays eight most of the time and then seven sometimes um which for i think someone with sickle cell it's quite good because it like i said it could go down to 5 it could go really low so even though like i don't feel like sometimes i can tell that i have less energy than other people but when i'm doing fashion when i'm in my studio i'm like literally on my feet all day with the most i have the most energy in the room even more than my interns and it's like crazy because it's like i'm i actually have less my hemoglobin level is lower than everyone in the room unless they have sickle cell, and so it's like I'm the one that has the most energy and that's what you know starting the Gideon Treasure Foundation and even this podcast was I do feel like mental your mental wellness, your mental health really does affect because physically, I have a low hemoglobin level, and physically I should be tired more tired than everyone else, but when I'm doing fashion and specifically when I'm doing fashion. I have the most energy, the most joy, the most excitement in the room. And that's crazy to me. But I do believe that because it brings me so much joy and happiness, I have that adrenaline that excites me and makes me, you know, do more than, you know, I'm capable of. And then there's days when I'm literally at home, not really doing much, working from home on my laptop. And I feel so tired, so sluggish. Like, um... When I transitioned from, so I had the pop-up shop. So i always had a workshop, which was what I renovated my parents' garage. And then from that situation, I worked there for a few years up until I had the pop-up shop, which was in Chelsea. And then when I ended that license, instead of renewing the lease and having a full lease, all the equipment that I had in the shop went to my parents' garage. And so now I can't use it. So I'm kind of like working from home Working on wholesale, you know, doing more of the backstage things and the promotion and stuff like that of Doomabuy before I find a, a new space. And in that time, I felt more tired than I've ever felt in the years that I had my studio and I was up at 7 a.m. every morning and, you know, in the studio from 10 till like probably 9 p.m. And that's crazy to me because I'm literally just sitting on my laptop working and I'm exhausted. I have to take a nap during most days. And so adrenaline, excitement, I do think it does. For Personally, for me, I can't speak for other people, sickle cell affects people differently. But from my own experience, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is facts. This is what I've experienced. <laughs> but um, I would say that I manage my sickle cell very well. And I give credit to my mother and my upbringing. And most importantly, my faith in God. I do believe that God has the power to heal people. And I do believe that God has healed me to a certain extent and, um, had given me the tools and, and stuff to help me really manage my sickle cell that I almost feel like it doesn't exist because I rarely go to hospital. And of course, my mother being someone who always tried to, you know, push me into eating well, drinking well, like I'm somebody that I do not drink fizzy drinks like I don't even care to drink fizzy drinks. Like even when I'm out, if if there's a Coke or something, I would probably ask, Oh, do you have like juice or water or something? I drink water every day. Most of the, most of my life is like water. And then maybe if I go out to an event or something, I may get a cocktail or Prosecco or like, um, yeah, now and again, I'll get like Um, or even a mocktail if I don't feel like drinking or I feel like, um, you know, my body's feeling a bit somewhere. And this is where it comes into the notion of listening to your body. You can feel like if you have a minor wrist pain or you're feeling, sometimes there's some signs when you have a health condition that can show you like, oh, my body's talking to me. There's something going on. So when there's ever a situation like that, you know, like be cautious. And if I'm out, just get the mocktail. You don't have to have the alcohol just because everyone else is. So with situations like that, listening to your body is so important. And that's my advice to other single-tell warriors. It's always to listen to your body, understand what triggers your crisis, say no if you feel tired and never pressure yourself to do anything your body can't handle. Always tell friends, co-workers and employers about your health condition from the very beginning. And this is also like partners and all of that stuff and educate them about your symptoms, triggers and your limits. This is so important. It's so important to all single cell patients, but particularly teenagers. There is a lot of peer pressure around that age and wanting to fit in and do all the things that the other kids are doing in the age of social media where you can watch People's stories and see your peers every day's lives. Like that's the thing I say. There was peer pressure before that. Like if you didn't go to a school party, if you didn't go to a party that everyone was going for at school, then it happened on Friday, on Monday, everyone will be talking about it. So obviously there was peer pressure. There's always been peer pressure before social media, but with social media, it's like now you can actually watch people's daily lives live. So if there's a party going on, you can actually see everyone posting about it on social media. You can watch people's story. So that level of FOMO, you can develop that FOMO. And even in adults, it's not just teenagers. That level of FOMO is real. <laughs> and for me, one thing I've realized is that health is wealth. There was no point forcing yourself to do something or go out if you're feeling under the weather and you know you may end up with a crisis. Like prevention is better than cure. These are powerful words and something my mother instilled in me when I was growing up. This notion helped me learn to manage my condition well and put my health first. I learned to be the right level of cautious without giving myself limitations. You know, it's about the perfect balance of listening to your body and knowing your weaknesses and your strengths. For example, when I was younger and I wanted to hang out with friends, if it was a, and I, you know, I grew up in London, so if it was cold, rainy day and I knew we would spend most of the day outside. I would pass on that occasion and wait for warmer weather or indoor activities. This doesn't mean I missed out on socializing. I don't know about you, but I'm bougie. Like, I don't care for hanging outside in the cold. (laughs) Like, for me, that's never been a desire. Like, I remember like being a teenager and people like, oh yeah, we're going to go to the park and drink like vodka or alcohol. And I'm just like, "Uh, yeah, no, in the cold. No, I don't care for like sitting outside in some park, freezing my ass off and drinking vodka. Like that's not cool for me. I've never been someone who has been really affected with peer pressure in that sense that I'm like, oh, I just have to be there because everyone's going to be there. And if I'm not be there, I'm going to miss out. And then they, you know, I, I like, I got to a point where I was like, I don't really care about stuff like that. Like, but I know for a lot of people, this is something that they care about. This is something that as a teenager, you care about not being part of this or hanging out with your friends and missing out on stuff, of course. But I think for me having sickle cell and just knowing what the cold did to me and also being a bougie child and bougie adult as I am, (laughs) that I was just like, yeah, I'd rather do something fun indoors or like cinema or like whatever. So I think for me, I just, I just learned and I knew that I had to prioritize like choosing the environment and the conditions that work for me and would prevent me from getting unnecessarily unwell. Cause that's, I think that's the most important, like. Having a chronic illness or health condition like this, you are going to have times where you can't control and you're going to go to hospital and you're going to be unwell. But when it's like times where it's like, you literally left your house in like five degrees weather and went and sat in a park for like five hours, you know, like that's unnecessary. That's I feel like that's <laughs> so unnecessary. And that's like, come on, you're going to, cold is a trigger out, especially when you're just straight out in the cold. If it's a situation when you're like, oh, we're going to have dinner, we're going to eat somewhere, so it's like the journey. And sometimes even with sickle cell, you get a crisis from just the journey, from taking the train. I've had situations where I've been in places and then the train ride back and and stuff was where I got the crisis. Cause like I went out in the cold and stuff. And so stuff is like, oh, well, you can't, you can't control that as much. Just make sure you've got the right, like layers on the jumpers and stuff. And you learn as you get older, you realize, okay, one cardigan isn't enough. Maybe I need two cardigans. Maybe I need a jumper. Maybe I need um a coat, whatever. Um, but yeah, so when I I call it unnecessarily unwell, when it's like situations where, you know, you're going to be out in the cold for hours and hours on end. And eventually when you just sit in the cold, you're just going to be freezing. So yeah, situations like that, I was kind of like, you know, pick your battles, (laughs) pick your battles. Yeah. (laughs) This doesn't mean stay at home and not go out. There are plenty of ways to socialize in warm. Conditions, restaurants, cinemas, at the friend's house, etc. But hanging in the park when it's cold, I don't think so. The same with working conditions. I would never allow an employer to send me out on a job that was in a bad weather conditions, or would I knew would trigger a crisis. And it did happen to me. I spoke about this on my last um, solo pe- podcast episode about how I did a fashion internship and they sent me out in the cold in New York to walk and carry these heavy things, and I ended up having to call for help, and then I ended up getting like fired for an unpaid internship but like that was one of like the straws for me the last straw because I was like "Mm, yeah never again I'm not going through that luckily I didn't get a crisis from that but um sometimes in certain situations obviously you want to be a great employee you want to um you know show up do the do the task that's um put out for you but sometimes when you have a health condition you have to literally put your health first because at the end of the day You're the one that's going to be in pain for days or weeks after this and not them. So um, that said, tickle cell can be unpredictable and can attack at any time, whether you're cautious or not, but weather conditions are a huge trigger and prevention is better than cure. But this was a learning experience for me. There were plenty of times where I let peer pressure or even just wanting to do things with my friends put me in hospital or having, or have a really bad crisis that I learned from and also helped me understand my body a bit better and my strengths, my weaknesses and limits. And that's the interesting thing as well is like, you're going to have to go through listening to your body, any kind of thing that you need to succeed in or overcome, you're always going to have to go through a certain situation where there, where you fail, and you, and that's what makes you better. So If I'd never gone through certain things, I probably wouldn't know what my body, um, what my limits are, what my strengths are, what I can do, what I can't do. So obviously there's time for that trial and error, but as long as you're not just continuously doing, going out in five degrees weather without a jacket or without a cardigan or something like that. I remember growing up in London and there were so many occasions. There was one, I'll tell you a few, so ice skating. So as a teenager, there used to be this place called, I, oh, I think it's still open. I don't know. I just haven't been there in years. So there was this place in North London. I think it was like in Woodgreen or something. And it was called Ali Pali, Alexander Palace. And it was a ice skating rink. And I remember um, it was a, It was like one of those really cool ones where all the cool kids go to. So it was, like a, it was more than just like an um, ice skating place. It was like a... A hip place if you're like a teenager or certain age that you and your friends would go and it'll be a whole day thing and it'll be fun so everyone wanted to go and it was one of those things like as a teenager I wanted to you know I wanted to do those things this was something I actually wanted to do and I'm glad that I actually tried it out because you know now as an adult, I I don't want to be wondering like, oh, can I do ice skating? Is it something that's going to cause a trigger? Like, so I did it. I went ice skating and of course you end up always falling unless you're like a super professional ice skater. So it was my first time Did it. It was super fun. Like one of those really memorable, I went with a few friends. I loved it. so much fun. Like I don't regret the day, but, um, came up, I fell flat on my ass and the, the force of like me falling down and hitting the ice was already painful. And then obviously the cold. So obviously cold is a trigger for sickle cell. So the hard like hit that my bum, <laughs> when it, my bum hit the ice rink was painful, of course. And then like the ice on top of it, the cold. So the next day, everyone else, so I was in pain, I had the usual muscle pain. The next day, everyone else woke up with more pain. So that's what happens usually when you injure yourself. The next day it's a bit more sore and it's like a normal for muscle pain. So all my friends, I called them and whatever, and then we spoke and they're like, yeah, they had muscle pain and like the usual. Whereas I woke up with a massive crisis. Like it was like I had the muscle pain and then that turned into a crisis. And it was those really bad. Like one of the most terrible like pain crisis areas that I would say is like your back and your chest, your lower back that that hurts like <laughs> your are lower back, like because there's some crisis areas where it's like your arm or your leg or something and it's not that bad but your back and your chest is like for me that's personally for me is the worst crisis where you can get I don't know I don't know what about the area that makes the crisis so severe but I remember it was in it was I can't remember if I because it was like I was a teenager so I can't remember if I went to hospital but I remember being in excruciating some I'm sure it turned into a hospital visit because most ones that were like back and chest is usually like end up going to hospital. But I remember just like that notion of like being like, okay, yeah, I had a great time. I did want that experience of having it. And it is sad to know, like, you know, I'm not a professional ice skater. So it's not like a situation where I'm like, oh, if I go next time, I'm not going to fall on the ice because there's no way of really like, unless I just go and just sit, stand in one corner. And I haven't been back since. And I, I personally I don't really think like I'm missing out on anything. I mean, I do see some of the Christmas ones that they have now, and I'm like, oh, it seems fun. And I might go one day in the future. I think my body is a bit stronger, maybe. Um, but personally that experience was kind of sad because it was like I went with my friends, they woke up with normal like muscle pain. Which probably would have gone in a few days or that day, or like, but you know you wake up sore, and that's normal, but it was the fact that it triggered a crisis, and that that triggered like that was a whole situation where I probably wasn't able to go to school that whole entire week and and so you have to, you just realize the differences, you realize that, yeah, you can do the things with your friends and you can have a great day, and that's amazing, but there is that one kind of situation where your friends are going to be able to probably make it to school on Monday, unless they really obviously injured themselves, like they hit their face or something and they had to go to A&E. So of course, these things can happen to people without health conditions. You know, it can go really bad. They can smack their head, you know, crack open their something, you know, like, so obviously there's always a danger for everyone. But I think there's just that added danger that even if I just fall like everyone else and everyone gets up out and has like little sore muscle pain you know, mine can trigger into a bigger crisis and I can end up in hospital. So it's just having that notion and learning and like, you know, if I do want to go in the future, you know, I already know that one experience. Is it something that a risk I'm willing to take? Is it something that I'm going to, you know, believe that my body's stronger or I'm going to be a bit more cautious and just, you know, try and make sure that I don't fall. But these are just some of the lessons that I think for me was like, I learned growing up and seeing like, okay, like, you know, would I have done something different or would I have continued to do it and just learn from the mistake? The second thing was swimming lessons in year five. Well, not second thing, this is not in order, but year five, and so in the UK schools, you do swim. I don't know if they still do this, but back when I was in school, and I think year five, you're about over nine years old, I'm guessing, because if you're 10, I know year 11 is, um, sorry, I know year seven is 11, so I'm thinking it's probably like eight or nine or something like that. So yeah, five, you eight or nine, you do your first ever swimming lessons with school. You get, I think it was like five weeks of swimming lessons. And I was really excited because I actually really wanted to learn how to swim. And I noticed that every time I did it. So with London, it's like, it's usually quite cold. And I don't remember, I mean, school isn't really in the summer. So I know that the swimming lessons must've been in winter. And I mean, outside of summer, London is pretty much winter all year round. And I remember... Um, with the swimming lessons you couldn't have your towel um with you at the swimming pool I think it was one of those things like they kept it somewhere or something and I remember that every time I had a lesson I would come out of the pool and I would be freezing like the cold the I don't remember the water being that cold but it was coming out of it and then the building not being warm enough and always having a crisis to the point that I couldn't finish my swimming lessons and so I never really learned how to swim so shocker I don't know how to swim I'm still I need to learn like that's always on my that's on my bucket list because I'm actually um one of my biggest fears is like drowning so like I actually need to swim um yeah so uh, learn <laughs> embarrassing um yeah so swimming lessons um year five I had crisis so I couldn't do swimming and then so that made me feel like I could never swim like that was like oh my god water is kryptonite like literally that's how I felt I was like water is kryptonite I can't I can't swim part of my sickle cell when I go in the water it causes a crisis that's what I thought so and then I think a few years before that when I was a lot younger like maybe like five years old me and my mom took us to my mom and our siblings we went to um some place called on the Naze or something like that. It was like some place outside of London. But I think it was like 18 degrees. So it's not really warm. And I got a massive crisis where it was like a beach. And so again, from that experience being like five, having a crisis from going to a beach. But to be honest, it wasn't warm. Now, now when I go to the beach, I go in like 26 degrees at minimum weather. But anyway, back then, 18 degrees was like hot in London. If you grew up in London, you know, like 18 degrees was like hot weather. But really now it's not. 18 degrees for me is cold. But um, yes, yeah, so I had. A, so for me, that was kind of like, oh, OK, water is the problem. It's the water. Because obviously I knew it was the cold, but I thought it was the combination. And I thought water was an issue and I could never, you know, swim or do anything like this. And then I spoke about this with another um, warrior that I had. Um, I. We'll be interviewing, I think soon, coming up soon. And um, I went to Greece at 18 years old. There was a water park. I so I was in my bikini because Greece was really hot. It was like over 30 degrees. So I was in my bikini. I was fine being out. And then we went to a water park. And at first, I I was so afraid because I was like, we're having. It was a girls' trip, so it was my it was my first ever like girls' trip. Like all before, previous to this, I had it was mainly like family holidays and all this kind of stuff. So at 18, it was like um, my sister and two girls from my school, my college. And we had this fabulous girls trip. We went to Malia in Greece. It was super hot. It was the first time I got like a really, really dark tan. And and we, we was in a bikini. We were living our best life. We were partying. We were drinking alcohol. It was good. And I was fine. And then we went to this water park. And I was like, oh, water is like my kryptonite. I can't go in the water. So I was really afraid. And I was like, I really don't want to ruin yeah, the main thing I was afraid of is I didn't want to ruin their trip because you're out with your friends and your sister. If you have a massive crisis, we don't know anything about the hospital. Where Malia was, it wasn't where the city was. Like when we, my one of my friends had an issue with her passport and so we had to get quad bikes and drive into the city. So it wasn't even like where you could really, it was an island. So... I didn't even know where the next hospital would be or anything. I always bring my medication with me, but still it just wouldn't be a burden because I would end up having, not being able to do anything else. Even though it was towards the end of the trip, I still didn't want this trip to end like with me having a crisis. So I was like kind of scared to not, I was just thinking, let me just sit and like, you guys enjoy the water park. I would just, you know, and my sister convinced me. She was like, I think you're going to be fine. It's really hot. Like it's it's plus 30 degrees. Like I don't think you're going to have a crisis and she eventually like convinced me and I was like, okay, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm going to learn. And like, at the end of the day, like if I do have a crisis, you're going to run in the hotel taking care of me. So, okay. I went in the water and I, I was fine. And it was true. Like the, the, it was so hot in Greece that I realized that water actually wasn't a trigger for my crisis. It was, it was have, it was being in, a, it was coming out of water and then being in a cold environment. So when I went to that beach, when I was like five years old, that was, like 18 degrees and it was windy coming out of the water i got a crisis because of the wind and the wet body the same with the swimming lessons in year 5 it was like coming out and then not having my towel straight away and being in a cold environment so knowing that changed my life because going on holiday being by the pool going in the water is one of my favorite things to do and i love it so much and it would be really sad to know that i couldn't do this and since then i've been able to travel all around the world like To different places, Dubai, Los Angeles, and go to poor places and not have that fear of like, I'm going to have a crisis and just enjoy it. And just making sure, obviously, I always make sure that the water's not cold because obviously you don't want to go into cold water and like that will definitely cause you to have a crisis. But if the water's warm enough and it's really warm outside, and I've been fine and it's been years, it's been like 10 years since then. So, like, I'm really grateful for that experience. And that is why listening to your body is so important. Sometimes you have to really have those trial and errors. You have to understand what is triggering my crisis. Why am I okay to do X, but I can't do Y? This is so important because it it can help improve your quality of life. When you know, when you know what helps your body, that, that really like, it's helped me. Like, and I don't think that the reason why I'm not on blood transfusions or or like regularly going to hospital or anything like that is has anything to do with me being special or or whatever, whatever. Like I feel like it's it's literally because I, I avoid, I avoid, and I'm not saying that other people don't avoid this, the people that have obviously people's sick or so are different and it affects people differently. And there's not really a scientific way to really answer, okay, why is this person constantly on this and why is this person not? But I do think that notion of prevention is better than cure and just being very cautious has helped me on my personal journey because I know what I've been in situations where I've had crisis and I've listened to it. And I think for me, it was what was so important was like, I want to live a very quality, amazing life. I want to do all these things. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be that person that constantly always flopping and having to cancel plans. Because sometimes as a person with a chronic illness, you do have to cancel. Like I've been invited to interesting, fun things that I really wanted to go. And then just before or the day of, I had a chest crisis. And because, you know, sometimes even when I have like minor like wrist pain, I might take an ibuprofen and see how it is and go. But when you have like a chest crisis, I'm like, do not leave your house. Like... (laughs) even if it starts to go down, like there's no need, especially when you're in a country like London where it's cold and you know, like that can make it worse. But because I wanted to have, I have really, and I think mainly the reason was because I have such big dreams, such amazing things that I want to do in life that I cannot let, you know, you know, sickle cell stop me or t- t- from doing this. Like I'm not going to allow it to win. And if that means like being cautious, um, I've already mentioned, I think previously about my um, menstrual cycle being um, a trigger and how like now around that time, I'm very cautious. I mean, I've it's been getting better. I've been noticing my body is actually getting better. Like I before, I never used to leave the house during that week. Now I can actually leave the house. I can go for walks if it's warm. Um, but I've noticed that sometimes if I go for walks and then the weather changes while I'm walking back, I get like face numbing and then my wrists start hurting and, and little things like that more so than I would when I'm outside of that period. Um, but you know, I'm very cautious and people will see my Instagram and be like, Oh, you're always going out. You're always traveling, always socializing. And it's like, yeah, but I'm listening to my body. I know, like, I'm going to this place because right now I'm feeling fine. I'm not on my menstrual cycle. Yeah and nothing should really I've got a spare cardigan like two cardigans a coat in the car I'll, and a lot of times I take my car. That's another thing. Sometimes I've noticed my journey to places is where I get my triggers. So I could be going somewhere and the building is warm but getting there, taking the train, waiting for the train, walking in the cold, those are things. So I made sure that I and I've spoken about this before. I've made sure that I got myself a car. So that way that I eliminate that that part of being out in the cold. And so once that part of being out in the cold is eliminated, I go from my house to my car, which is right outside. Then I find parking that's right outside where I'm going. Then I go, so I'm going from a warm building to a warm car, to a warm building, back to warm. So I'm never in the situation where I'm in the cold. And it might sound like, oh my God, I'm so like, but it it really makes a huge difference. Because now I'm avoiding cold is a trigger. I will avoid cold at all costs. Like I'm avoiding, I barely, I barely experience like out in the cold, horrible rain situations because I've made sure that I've got myself a car. You know, I've made sure that even if it means that I have to spend 20 minutes driving around finding parking, I will do it as opposed to taking the train and then having that situation of being in the cold waiting and all this stuff that I know that that triggers my crisis as adults we learn to put our health first and realize that health is wealth and if we exert ourselves and end up unwell or in hospital we end up missing out on the things we want to do even more but for the younger generation coming up learning to listen to your body it will make a world of difference in your quality of life Thank you so much for listening to today's Living with Sigle Cell podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you will continue this journey with me. We will be discussing a lot of important topics and we'll have some incredible guest speakers joining to share their experiences. Please subscribe and like our Instagram pages, Atelier underscore Zimmerby and Gideon underscore Treasure. Feel free to leave a comment, ask a question. And if you would like to be a guest, be and show your story, please send me an email. Details in the episode description. Love you and God bless. Mwah!